0: hello again welcome back to why won't you think like me the podcast that doesn't claim to be right just that you're wrong and this week you're wrong about the food you eat because it's actually immoral and you're a terrible person for eating food i'm joey the half of the podcast that only eats the yellow starburst and throws away the rest
1: and i'm george and i am definitely a pink starburst kind of guy
0: yeah i I respect that but it's wrong yellow is the only way to go uh speaking of what is the only way to go george do you eat lobster at all
1: Nope, I do not eat lobster.
0: Now, is that because of any, like, moral stance you have on it, or do you just not like lobster?
1: Well, freak, Joey. The way you're asking it makes it seem like it is a moral stance, and yes, you're right. It happens to be a moral stance. I'm not trying to be defensive about it, but you're just kind of being really freaking rude right now.
0: Man, it's almost like I have an agenda to push here, isn't it? Gosh. Well... Man... I'm not the only one. Evidently, uh, David Foster Wallace thought the same thing. In case you don't know what we're talking about, David Foster Wallace who's a phenomenal author. Uh, he wrote this piece called Consider the Lobster back in uh, August of 2004. And it's, it's like two parts. One part just shitting on the Maine Lobster Festival for being a terrible, terrible place and experience and then the other half he brings forth this argument that i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie whenever i first heard you tell me about this george i kind of laughed at it because i've like i just would have never thought about that and everybody i've told about this since then has also had the same reaction but it raises a lot of interesting questions and that question is is it immoral to eat lobster
1: look Joey. I have friends that will text me pictures of lobsters that they're about to eat to mess with me on this issue. <laughs> Are it you is
0: serious?
1: yes, they make fun <laughs> of me so much, so and is... i try I try to be strong and I laugh, but if you look closer, you'll see the tracks of tears running down my face,
0: <laughs> so do they send you the picture of like the lobster before it meets its demise or like as they cook it or after before? But four is
1: the most cruelest part.
0: I was about to say, that's like, that's actually just mean. What the heck? (laughs) Wow.
1: Yep. So I think, yeah, sorry, go for it.
0: I I was just going to say, I've never, I don't even think I've ever eaten lobster in my life. And that's not for any kind of moral withholding that I have. It's only because when I was growing up, it was always considered, and I guess it has been for a while now, it's always been considered like a posh, rich food. And I was always more of a just give me a cheeseburger and bacon kind of guy, and I just didn't care because I thought it was really pretentious. So I never bothered with it. But it's not like I ever had any kind of uh, any any kind of mental block stopping me from eating it. But it's it's also another thing that I don't nobody that I am uh, like friends with or or in any social circles or whatever uh, has ever really considered that as a thing. So it's just hilarious to me that your friends will mess with you doing that because. They know that you have this issue with with cooking and eating lobster.
1: One of my friends' family restaurants that he goes to on a regular basis is uh, the 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 Red Lobster. That's that's where they go to eat for family dinner. Why? So they... My
0: only question about that is why do they hate themselves?
1: <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know.
0: I mean out of all restaurants, Red Lobster. There, you, you could
1: can. not pay me to you could put a gun to my head and say I want your family your family restaurant to be a chain seafood place and I would I would rather I would rather bite down on a cyanide capsule than have to go to a chain seafood restaurant on a regular basis. That is disgusting. Like that,
0: that's the so like red lobster being your favorite restaurant to go to would be like living in the exact center of the state and going to a restaurant that advertises fresh caught seafood no i'm sorry that's just not what you're getting you're getting the equivalent like the (laughs) seafood equivalent of a mcchicken it's not like it's just not uh, that there's this dissonance there i don't really get that
1: I think there's this kid as a kid, you kind of romanticize restaurants because it's sort of like this ethereal otherness type of thing. You kind of you're like, wow, this McDonald's is the best. You see those golden arches and you're like, man, it's just so other and so fun. Because being at home and eating just isn't cool. But going out and eating is a lot of fun. And now that I'm older, I'm just I'm just getting so conscious of the sanitary environments that one, I just don't I'm I'm very picky about what restaurants I'd want to go in, especially chain and fast food. So then when you kind of throw in the seafood aspect of that, it's just like that is gross. Yeah, that is it, disgusting.
0: I seriously can't. I would rather go to Arby's, and that's saying a lot, because Arby's is probably the, the second worst thing to grace this planet this side of eternity. So Look, no,
1: Arby's is great, depending on what you get. If you're there to get crystal meth, Arby's is awesome.
0: <laughs> Dude, if, they, <laughs> the, the good thing about Arby's is that they each each location is guaranteed to have a guy out back that will hook you up with whatever you need. You just need to go ask. It's fantastic.
1: You gotta have your your street pharmacist on speed dial and yeah. Arby's if you live near an Arby's you sure got one on speed dial. Exactly. You, you heard got it here your-
0: first. You hear it here first, folks. If you need drugs, just type in Arby's to Google Maps and go wherever it takes you. Boom, right there.
1: All you gotta do is just order the the uh blackberry cranbulee
0: and that, that's code for crystal meth outback. Don't ask how we know this. It's definitely not from personal experience or anything. So, the lobster. I want to lay out the argument that David Foster Wallace puts forth here just to kind of give context to this before we dive into it. So, you heard me say at the beginning of this that this article, it's not very long. You should definitely give it a read because it is just phenomenally well-written and it's very entertaining as almost all of David Foster Wallace's stuff is. But this, this article is one part ripping on the Maine Lobster Festival for being an absolutely terrible experience, and the other half is laying out this moral argument of uh, whether or not you should eat lobster. And the reason for that, just to give some background on this, lobster used to be considered a poor man's food because it was so prevalent, and the way that they used to cook it back in the day is that they would catch the lobster and then butcher it and do all that stuff and uh, can it and preserve it and then just ship it all over the country. So it was really cheap, it was really prevalent, and it was considered a poor people food. So for the longest time, you didn't eat it if you were looking for good cuisine because of the way that it was prepared. And what shifted... They would even feed it to prisoners. They, they that was They would feed it to prisoners, but only a couple of times a week because they considered it cruel and unusual punishment to make them eat it every single day, <laughs> which is just hilarious to me, but that's true. It's
1: like forcing somebody to eat Arby's every day of the week. It's just, it's inhumane.
0: Part of me died hearing that. That just sounds terrible. (laughs) (sighs) Rest in peace, little part of me. But, so, the thing that changed is the way that lobster is prepared. And if you don't know, the way that lobster is prepared now is that they're kept alive in captivity up to the point that it's about to be cooked and served to you. And the way that they do that most of the time is by boiling it alive. So... This argument that David Foster Wallace lays out is, uh, first of all, you, you can just outright deny that that isn't uh, immoral. And th- what that implies is that you think that animals other than humans are lower on the the um, ladder of importance, which is fine if you want to uh, go that route. But what he uh, puts forth for people that claim to have some sort of Uh, moral standard to uphold and and tries to value life to some extent is that if you are going to eat lobster you have to consider what goes into preparing that food and he lays out this really gruesome kind of image towards the end of it that we're going to get to but that's the that's the gist of what he's getting at with this article
1: all right so but he does address right off the bat a common misconception and that is that when you boil a lobster, they actually don't have complex neurology to actually uh, feel the pain of the boiling water, right? Yeah. And how do, do you remember how he counters that? Because the neurology is a bit advanced for me to understand. I wasn't sure if you were able to get it.
0: Yeah, but so, the gist
1: I got was that lobsters... So here was the gist I got lobsters don't have very good field of vision so that they actually have pretty intense and capable sensory type of abilities when uh moving and navigating through the water so that boiling them alive is actually something they can intensely feel
0: yeah and and that's the that was one of the main points that he lays out but before i i kind of uh talk about him breaking down lobster neurology. Um, I, I want to kind of like explain how humans feel and process pain because I think the understanding that is a, is a good precursor to this. So the way, let's say that you are hammering a nail into a wall, you miss the nail, like we all do, smash your thumb. What happens when that happens? Yeah. So the pain starts when the hammer hits your thumb. And once that happens, that in, that injury stimulates pain receptors, which in turn release chemicals. Those chemicals carry that message of, ow, that hurts, through the spinal cord up to the brain. Once it gets to your brain, it's received by the thalamus, which is basically at the tip of your spinal cord and the center of your brain. And it gets sent to the cerebral cortex. That's this... If you've ever seen like a cross-section of uh, somebody's brain in like a science class or a science textbook or whatever, there's this thin outer layer of like darker gray. That's what the cerebral cortex is. It's this thing that surrounds your brain and it's folded. Uh, that is the part of the brain that actually processes that message, and then once it's processed, it gets sent to the appropriate pra- place, which in this case is the parietal lobe. That's one of the four sections of your brain, and that's what processes pain. All of that okay, happens so- basically instantly.
1: Just, just to clarify, the cerebral cortex is not the thing that Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway went through in Interstellar.
0: No, no, not at all. It's close, okay. not the cerebral cortex though. Is the cerebral okay. uh, mening- meningitis? Mm. Yeah. Barely <laughs> Science. So. That right there is is how humans process pain. That's a very basic explain like I'm five understanding, but that's what essentially happens in our bodies when we process pain. So the idea that a lot of people have in their heads, and this is something that I even thought for the longest time too, is that in order for something to ha- be able to experience pain, it neurologically has to have this makeup and these elements of a brain. And we know that the smaller and less complex than a, that a mammal or fish gets, the less of these uh, elements of their brain that they're going to have. And the argument is that, and this is something that uh, David Foster Wallace addresses uh, about halfway through this as well. He was talking about a conversation that he had with a taxi driver while they were riding to the event. Uh, And the taxi driver said, quote, there's a part of the brain in people and animals that lets us feel pain, and lobster's brains don't have this part. And based off of what I just explained, the part of the brain, quote-unquote, that he was talking about is the parietal lobe, not the cerebral cortex. That's just what processes the message, but the parietal lobe of your brain. And, and that was
1: what Matt Damon had to go through to get back from Mars.
0: Yes, exactly. He had to get through the parietal lobe to get back from Mars, which is why he passed out. Mm. True facts. So, uh, and, and Foster pri- Wallace...
1: Pri- priority loop he had to get through?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Foster Wallace addresses this in the next sentence after that, and he talks about the fact that that science is incorrect in a lot of different ways, um, but then brings up another uh, thing on an IQ quiz that he found at this this specific year of the Maine Lobster Festival uh, that was talking about how the nervous system of a lobster is made up, and it says, quote, the nervous system of a lobster is very simple and is in fact most similar to the nervous system of the grasshopper. It's decentralized with no brain. There's no cerebral cortex, which in humans is the area of the brain that gives the experience of pain, which like we just said, it's not. That's what processes the message. And again, he talks about the fact that it sounds sophisticated. It's not the, the evidence in the latter claim is either false or just fuzzy and not proven. Um, and basically what he's getting at there is that this idea that a lot of people put forth that lobsters and fish don't have this thing that lets them process pain is not true at all
1: well it's like saying that uh that fish it's sort of like saying fish don't uh walk and obviously they they don't walk but they still move there's still motion capabilities we both have motion capabilities but they look different. So for one animal, if pain looks differently in one animal than another, then that shouldn't surprise us. It doesn't have to have the exact same makeup and and material for it to produce the the same outcome, I guess, or at least for there not to be a similar outcome. At, at least uh, that that's what kind of makes sense in my mind.
0: Yeah, and that, that's a... Um... I think that that's a really good way to uh, put that, too, because just because something doesn't look the same in one species as it does in humans, for example, doesn't mean that 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 thing doesn't experience what we do. And this is is where uh, Foster Wallace starts to really lay out this argument. So we've established that lobsters... Don't necessarily have the exact same brain makeup that we do. That's fine. They're like our brains are folded because they're more complex. Lobster's brains are just smooth and rounded. But they still can process pain. And he he goes through this rather uh rather gruesome type of uh example that he he lays out to explain what this looks like. And he he presents this idea that I think is pretty remarkable because it kind of contextualized this for me when I first read it. And that idea is that the sensation of something isn't based so much on the makeup of it. And the, the reason why I think so many people have approached it with that, uh, that mindset beforehand is because we can't communicate with a lobster. Like if I ask a lobster what it's feeling, unless you're Jordan Peterson, the lobster man himself, you can't communicate with it. So they're not going to be able to say, hey man, I'm straight up not having a good time right now. Like it's not going to be able to do that. So you have to kind of infer off of other things. And the idea that he puts forth is that let's say that you have a, let's say that you have a child, for example, that can't communicate with you but does something to get itself hurt. What's it gonna do? It's gonna cry. It's gonna make noise like it's not enjoying itself, and you're gonna say, Oh crap, that child's hurt. I need to probably do something to help it. You're not gonna say, that's brain isn't developed enough. It can't actually experience pain, but what it's doing right now kind of simulates pain. So maybe it's pain, I don't know. You wouldn't do that. You're immediately going to say, "Oh yeah, it's experiencing pain." So I'm going to do People who don't about that.
1: recognize their children are crying are
0: wrong. It's an archetypal lobster-like <laughs> response. It's a response stimuli it's going to it's going to start drooping and doesn't want to doesn't want to fight and it's going to run away from everything because it lost this one fight. That's lobster hierarchy in a lobster shell. You um, know what I give my baby when it's crying?
1: Serotonin. I just shoot it up with serotonin.
0: <laughs> I couldn't remember the name of the chemical, but that's 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 probably a really cr- cruel like World War 2 era German experiment that they've done somewhere that I don't want to know any backstory on
1: the nazis um, invented aliens man yeah it's, let's just be <laughs> they're real they still, they're still a,
0: up there on the moon
1: they they made a deal with the uh 11th dimension aliens and uh they they accidentally opened up a portal and we've been making uh movies about nots
0: yeah they man they jumped way up the ladder they went from talking to the fourth dimension to the 11th that's pretty impressive
1: Man, it'd be kind of hard to say you were sorry for World War II and everything if you actually discovered aliens. It'd be like, yeah, we did a lot of wrong, but man, we, we opened up a portal and got to talk to aliens, man. <laughs>
0: that like, <laughs> That's a sci-fi movie waiting to happen. Oh, my God. That's it a...
1: kind of, I don't know what that was, but I guess it's sort of confirming that they didn't discover aliens. Yeah, It would just be yeah. really hard to say you were sorry if you discovered aliens it would be totally eclipsed. In fact, if I was on the Nuremberg trials for for all the crap I did during World War II, but I discovered aliens, I would I would totally use the alien defense. Be like, "Look, I did a wrong a lot of wrong stuff, human rights and all that. Totally dropped the ball. But <laughs> <laughs> I discovered aliens last. So,
0: night. you can't really get mad at me for that." Let's just <laughs> weigh the pros mad. and cons here. <laughs> Oh my God. That's a, that's a whole nother episode that we could definitely get into. But so getting, getting back to the lobster, Foster Wallace starts talking about, uh, so he's debunked the claim that neurologically lobsters don't have what they need to feel pain. Let's look at what actually happens when you cook a lobster. And he, he gives this example of a chef getting ready to cook a lobster. And what happens? He, he, looks at pain not so much from a neurological does this thing have what it needs to process it but on a more basic fundamental what what actions is this creature exhibiting when it's when it's uh, exposed to what we would consider a pain stimulus and does it look like it's doing something that makes it feel pain if so it feels pain does it not then it either doesn't or it doesn't care about it and that's another thing that he uh, when when he brought that up, I was kind of it's not a thing that I had ever thought about before, but let's say that you have somebody he he brings up uh old lobotomy patients that is just a terrible terrible solution to a problem. but the uh, what would happen with a lobotomy is that essentially you like just neuter the part of the brain that allows you to have emotions and feel and uh, process things um, on an emotional level. so you essentially just become apathetic to everything so you could still experience pain but you wouldn't feel anything about that pain it would just be there like you're not going to react to it in a way that says oh i want this to stop it's just like if it started raining on you and you don't care if you're getting wet or whatever
1: yeah and this is where people talk about humans having the highest level of consciousness there's uh, there's it's one thing to have certain feelings, and reactions going off. And it's another thing to be connected to those and experiencing those in connection with you as a person. Uh, for instance, if you see a lot of movies where there's like a beehive consciousness, uh, there's a... So the, usually what happens in... For in okay, Stranger Things. I, I just rewatched it, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. So there's uh, the whole demigorgons are connected to this beehive consciousness, which means that there's one super being that is in control of all these little ones. Now, uh, what it appears on the show is that if you kill and harm one of these creatures, there's some sense in which the whole group feels them, uh, feels the these reactions. So. Really, it's not the individual demogorgons that are experiencing pain. It's the beehive consciousness. It's the central nervous system altogether that really feels it. So if you were to kill one of the demogorgons or even torture it, it really would, It doesn't mean it would be right to torture it. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is it wouldn't necessarily be pain to that individual demigorgon. It would be pain towards the beehive consciousness.
0: So, what you're saying is we need to kill all the demagogans. So,
1: what you're saying is you're, you're a lobster inside a tank about to be boiled alive, and that's Western civilization. Yes. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. So, and I think that that hive mind example is actually a really good point of that. And it, it just contextualizes pain in a different way because the way that at least I always traditionally viewed it was if I get hurt by something, can I say to you, ow, this hurts? That's the thing that denotes whether or not it's painful. But I mean, he Foster Wallace here is just looking at it on a much more fundamental level. Does a creature react to what we would consider a pain stimulus, yes or no? If it's yes, it experiences pain, maybe in a different way, but it's still there. And, and like, you wouldn't say, for example, that Like, say that you have a dog that you accidentally step on their paw. They can react to that as painful, but your first response is going to, like, first of all, probably cry inside because you can't explain to your dog how sorry you are for accidentally doing that and that it was an accident. But secondly, you're going to check to see if they're all right because they are exhibiting an action that says, hey, I'm hurt. You're going to make sure that that looks okay and that it's fine. Um, So let's say that you're about to cook a lobster. You go and pick one out from the store. Got the one you want. Claws are all... Uh, taped up and the reason they do that is because they get really stressed out in captivity and will start to just claw at each other and kill each other uh, under the stress of that so they they bind their claws up so that they can't do that they just kind of sit there under stress in captivity you get the one you want you bring it home now you're about to cook it let's say that you're just going to do it for uh, ease of example's sake the most basic way which is boiling it there are a few other ways you can do it uh, and we'll probably get to why those are also not as humane as you might think but you're about to boil the lobster what's the procedure there well get a pot you get your water boiling once the water's boiling you drop the lobster in that's you just boil it alive uh and just to give you some science behind that it, it's typically said that it takes anywhere from 45 seconds to a minute for the lobster to actually die in this boiling water but what happens before it's dropped in there or while it's dropped in there this is the part that gets kind of gruesome because Foster Wallace is talking about experiences that he's heard from some from some chefs and from uh, things that he's um, uh, experienced himself. And that he talks about three things that the lobster might do. And that's one, resisting trying to get into the tank by like floundering, floundering around and clawing and stuff and trying to get out of that situation. The second thing is like clawing onto the side of the pot so that it can't fall all the way in. Kind of like uh, if you were trying to climb up over something, you would be holding on to it exactly like that, and then the third thing is after you drop it in the pot, it's thrashing around, trying like clawing at the lid, trying to get it off all things that and George correct me if I'm vo- viewing this wrong to me, say yeah, it's probably not enjoying the experience it's going through right now,
1: yeah, I well, so I would say, yes, probably, but there is an aspect that. Being reactionary isn't the same as experiencing, isn't this, the reactions alone don't prove it. But the reactions coupled with the science of what we know about what a lobster experienced to me suggests that it is experiencing pain. For instance, you can react to something without being fully aware of what you're doing. If you do the whole test, the knee test at the doctor's office, they take that rubber hammer and they hit you on the knee and your leg flings up it could be an inst- an instinctive uh, type of reaction to pain. They tr- they're they experiencing pain, so they try to get out, and uh, they-, they know it's a bad situation. So, yes, that does suggest that it's starting to get out, but it doesn't necessarily on its own prove that they are actually experiencing pain. But coupled with what we know, yes, I would say they are feeling pain.
0: Yeah, and that's a a really good distinction, too, because I I like the way that Foster Wallace presents that argument, but I also agree. I don't think it's deterministic in and of itself. I think that it also has to be coupled with what we know about uh, crustacean neurology, which is not a thing I ever thought that I would say in my life, but I just did, so I'm checking that off the bucket (laughs) list. So uh, at that point, and, and he even cites the fact that some chefs, after they put the lobster in the pot, will just leave the kitchen until the deed is done which to to me suggests to that person that they know that there's something wrong or, or something off about what they're doing uh now but why do they do that why do they cook it that way
1: well so, they're i think one of the reasons is one of the things that's uh attractive about eating lobsters is that it is fresh so boiling it immediately and even alive is seen as it kind of adds to the freshness of it all. I would like to add, though, that depending on how the lobster is treated beforehand also determines of how well their well-being is leading up to the point of their death. So, yeah, what people like to do with lobster is they're they're so kind of... A, obsessed with this that they're storing the lobster in different places like that and sometimes they'll throw the lobster in a pot of water that isn't boiling and they'll just boil it but as a way to be more quote-unquote humane sort of like the frog deal but that ends up not helping because the lobster is likely suffocating in the water because the water isn't actually what's true to uh, their environment right so yeah the obsession with the freshness leads to even more harm to the lobster's well-being.
0: Yeah. And and I mean, it's, that's also again, part of the appeal and part of the reason why it's become such a renowned, like, uh, like upper-class food is that lobster is basically treated now like steak of the sea. Uh, It's very much a delicacy in that regard. And again, the reason for that is because, you want it to be as fresh as possible, which is why you'll see it alive up until the moment that it's getting cooked. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to the the frog and boiling water analogy people, that's bogus. Why do you believe that still? That would not happen. Sure, it might up to a point, but when a frog is in water, if it's going to kill it, it's going to jump out. That's <laughs> That doesn't actually work. That's like one of those myths that I'm not sure how it got popularized, but in the same way, doesn't work for a uh, a crustacean either. So don't think that that's going to make it any more humane. Um, and so, <laughs> looking at ways of quote unquote humanely killing a lobster, let's look at another one that uh, that a lot that a lot of people seem to think somehow honors the lobster more and like entitles you to eat it. And that's the the like just uh, killing it just before you cook it by like taking a knife through what would be where, like, in a human's would be like they're like the middle of your forehead or whatever. Uh, human
1: brain, you mean?
0: Yeah, your, your, yeah, brain, they, they essentially think of it like that, but
1: I do remember when he talks about that because it kind of goes back to what your understanding of neurology is. Because, as we said, a lobster's field of vision is drastically different than ours, it doesn't, it doesn't, us, uh, you know, our, our central. Our central command is our brain, right? But with the lobsters, it's throughout their body. So they they just feel and, and do things way differently than humans do.
0: Yeah, and an example of that is that uh, David Foster Wallace talks about lobsters' nervous systems operating off of not one, but several nerve bundles, which are kind of wired in series and distributed all over the underside of the lobster from the head to the end of the tail. So it's not like disabling its frontal region or where you where you think its brain is is gonna render it and sense it. It's yeah, what that essentially does is it doesn't actually result in quick death or unconsciousness. So like it doesn't do that much because the rest of the lobster has plenty of nerve bundles and stuff that are still going to allow it to feel what's about to happen to it. Um yeah, so after those are the two like most quote unquote humane ways that people tend to prepare lobster. And after that are The slow heating types of methods are kind of comparative because they're even worse, or if you view it this way, crueler ways that people can prepare lobsters. Some people uh, will microwave them alive, which uh, they do after poking holes in its carapace so that it doesn't explode, because evidently that's a thing that happens if you microwave a lobster. Um, Right,
1: because of the shell and stuff.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. Live dismemberment of it is another one. They just cut the thing in half before cooking or tear off the claws and tail and just toss those parts in the pot
1: It reminds me there is another misconception. So one some people say that you could hear a lobster screaming while you're boiling it. It's actually not true and it be it from if I'm not mistaken from the vibration of the shell. That's what you're actually hearing. You're not hearing yeah. a scream.
0: Yeah, lobsters can't make an audible noise like that. It's like if you were, or if you're like boiling water uh, in in like an old school kettle and steam starts to make it kind of whistle, sort of the same concept. Uh, So it's not too different there, but yeah, still feel, yeah, they still feel things. And and like you said at the beginning, they don't have much in the way of, uh, of good eyesight or hearing, but the thing that makes up for that, lobsters have been around for millions of years. They are one of the oldest creatures that we know that currently exist on the, the planet and not only that, but they basically can't die from old age. Like, th- there are some lobsters that can live upwards of two, three, four hundred years as long as they're not eaten by something, because and they get absolutely massive because of that. They never really stop growing. Um, and because of that, they've, they've survived for a very long time, not because of the complexity of... Their brains or their nervous system or or their methods of hunting or whatever but because they're a simple creature that just works it's like if you took like a 92 toyota camry uh to analogize it to cars that's what the that's what the lobster is it's a 92 toyota camry it just keeps going so lobsters have been around for a very very long time
1: i actually uh had a pet lobster at one point (laughs) did you really yeah, I had a serious serotonin addiction, so I had to kick it out of the house.
0: Mm, that makes sense. Really? I can see how that would be bad for a small child.
1: I gave him a, a good self-help book to get him on a, back on his feet. though.
0: That has something All to do that. with 12 different rules?
1: 12 rules, yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he probably benefited from that a lot. I hope he got his room in order before he set out to change the world. To... Clean your room. You know how a lobster cleans its room? <laughs> How's that?
1: It just eats stuff. That's all they are. They just kind of are janitors of the
0: sea. Yeah. They're bottom feeders. That's what they do. They eat bottoms. So, I think we've gone... (laughs) So, I think we have gone over the... I don't think at this point that you could dispute the fact that the ways that we cook lobster are pretty inhumane. To...
1: Like there is one possibility that I know of that is still disputed as a humane way to kill a lobster and that is the freezing method. But I'm still not too dead set on that because freezing is a lot different than heating. So freezing uh kills a lot of your like I mean when humans freeze to death it's actually numbing before it kills you. So for for lobsters it could be the same deal. I'm not entirely sure. It's still kind of disputed. I haven't exactly found 100% good science on it when looking into it, but it does that is one way certain chefs kill lobster is they freeze it to death and the idea is that it would numb it over time before it's totally dead. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. I still don't know though. But I, I would never go to compelling. a restaurant. I would never go to a restaurant to order lobster because I don't know how they actually prepare it and cook it. I don't know the things leading up to it. And uh it it, it just doesn't I don't even want to be the type of guy that has to ask and inspect, "How do you cook your lobster?" You know what I mean? I'd rather yeah. just not get into it and That's not totally buy. That's
0: totally fair. It. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's completely fair. And like that's that's another thing too, uh, that it it's also entirely dependent on the person cooking it because they might either have a kind of a, a reverence for that creature or they don't and they just don't care, which is totally fine. Uh that's up to them. But David Foster Wallace brings up this really, really good analogy to this to kind of contextualize it. And it's so at the main lobster festival, there's this I think it's called The World's Largest Lobster Cooker. And basically, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. And it's not any different from how you would cook a lobster normally. All the lobsters are kept alive up until they're about to get cooked. And you it's, it's essentially a spectacle. You watch this giant machine cook all of these lobsters for you and you get them fresh or fresh, quote-unquote, after waiting an hour in line to get like a tail or something like that. But he analogizes it to... Let's say that you were at a carnival that uh, was about beef and the the main attraction was the world's largest beef cooker and they did this in the same way where they just had all of these cows stored somewhere uh, that were getting slaughtered right there in front of all of these people to then be brought out and cooked to you as fresh as possible. I, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that most people would view that a lot differently. I don't think that everybody would get on PETA's side and want to start protesting it, but they would have a lot of problems watching that, would they not?
1: Yeah, I think so. I do think there's a tad bit of hypocrisy that people have uh, when it does come to animals, though. A lot of people will talk about not being okay with, they would never kill an animal, but they're totally okay eating animals. And I think there's a tad bit of hypocrisy uh, with that. I think it's understandable if you don't think it should be a sport. That makes a lot of sense. But in terms, there is a cost to the animals you eat. So you have to be okay with them dying. You can't, I don't think you can condemn other people for hunting and providing that service. But the idea of making that a spectacle does seem very wrong and perverse in a lot of ways. Uh, and and even showing if people have problems with the way you kill the animal, that makes a lot of sense too, so I just want to provide that distinction
0: yeah, I, I mean I think that's a, a really good point too, and and also like I don't want this to come across either as like us being paid off by PETA saying hey don't eat meat, the the point at the end of all of this is just answering a stupid question and is it moral to eat lobster or not, but the there, there's there's a there's some mental gymnastics that you have to do with with it either way because you don't see us having the same conversation about eating <laughs> beef for example and part of that is due to the way that it's prepared and part of it isn't that's entirely different but there's there's still regardless of which side of the fence that you're on that there's some kind of mental gymnastics that you have to do where you draw a line and say like it's okay to prepare this type of meat because it's more humane the way that it's killed as opposed to this thing which is kept alive in captivity up until it's about to get eaten and regardless of which side of the fence you land on on that it's totally fine but depending on your stance there are some things that are going to land you more in the camp of being hypocritical towards other things and that's a thing that you kind of just have to learn to be okay with because it's impossible to unless you want to go full vegan which I mean more power to you but why um (laughs) You can, but unless you want to do that, there's not really another way to get around that. So this isn't kind of a directed attack at people that eat lobster. It's just kind of examining that question. But um, If
1: you're going to be vegan, you're going to have to just really rework the marketing on that.
0: Yeah. Because the whole vegan (laughs) movement
1: is still kind of steeped in arrogance. Yeah, you're
0: you're really going to have to change the branding because... It's just
1: not working, man.
0: That and... like. Until you can come up with a good substitute for bacon, you're not getting me on your side. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. I like eating meat too much. It's some of my favorite stuff. So until you get good substitutes, count me out. But yeah. And, and the whole point
1: of this exercise is, yes, there are probably broader implications beyond lobster. There are probably very wrong ways in how we eat other animals. But what David Foster Wallace is doing is he's zooming in on one example. And if we just considered the cost of the way we live just a little bit, became a little more self-aware, it might make us a little more grateful, even if we still land on the side of it's still okay to eat lobster. I don't think it is, but it does at least provide a way for us to think, what is the cost of what we're doing? Killing an animal to me is fine. But, there is a cost to it. there is bloodshed,
0: yeah, and... the cost is about five ninety five at McDonald's. <laughs> 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 but no, I mean, I think that that's a really good point, and it almost kind of harkens back to this like Native American sort of uh spirituality of the hunt, like reverence that they have for life, when you look at the way that uh Native American tribes would um hunt and treat the land and the animals that they uh sustain themselves off of they had this sort of reverence for it because like there's this uh there's this saying that uh native american tribe and this may not be 100 percent accurate but i uh it sounds good so i'm going to use it as a confirmation bias thing but i think that it is true i need to find a source for it but there's this thing, uh, this saying that Native American tribes felt responsible for the land that they used for the next seven generations, and so they made care, they made sure to take really good care of that uh, that land, and that that extended from as little of a thing to like what they did with their waste all the way up to how they hunted, and it was never out of excess. Like you can look at it as Native American societies weren't capitalistic. they were, um, they were only like hunting to to meet a uh, demand not to make access or to make a profit. And what that kind of resulted in is this uh, appreciation for the the food that they would get, uh, harvest and grow to sustain themselves and for the land that they had to live on. And this is probably a broader theme than what most people I think are going to get out of thinking about <laughs> what goes into cooking a lobster. But I think that it's a really good point that David Foster Wallace brings up here too, is that, with all of the things that we eat now and and all the things that we have access to and how uh, industrialized our society has become it's really easy to kind of toss to the wayside the like what it's taken to get to this point this is something that I talk about all the time that a lot of the stuff culturally that's shifted in the way that it has in my opinion has resulted out of a need to no longer worry about Surviving until the winter or through the winter, we've gone beyond that point. We've essentially beat the weather and and uh, nature, and we've we've conquered all of that, and we've gotten to this point now that we don't have to worry about how are we going to eat for the next week or whatever, because we have all of these things readily available to us. And I think that one thing that's resulted out of that, obviously, is just kind of a uh, this lack of appreciation for the things that that we do have such constant and easy access to. And we I just think that the the example of the lobster is a really good way to put that into context for people. So you bring up
1: an interesting point, which is the whole idea of capitalism and how this plays into it because we are uh we are critics, friendly critics of capitalism. Capitalism is something that we ourselves have benefited from, but we do not think it's uh unhelpful or unproductive to critique it. The solution for us is not uh, socialism or communism, because those are other hyper-nationalistic solutions to a lot of problems that I think are deeper than that. But capitalism cares about something you said was profit, and it's profit at whatever cost sometimes, or at least to the point where people can endure it. It obviously cannot go too far against the laborers and the people working for the bourgeoisie. Uh, It can't go too far against them, otherwise uh, the people will revolt, which is why Marx said that there were things like religion and politics and art uh, uh, that were used to kind of dull the masses, the opiate of the masses. So you have to have those things in place. You can't just work them to death. You have to, you have to make them appear that they're free uh, while actually enslaving them implicitly. And again, you don't have to agree with Marx, but I think you should listen to the critique. Well, with animals, there really isn't a concern that much for well-being of animals. The concern is profit. And sure, with lobsters, you could broaden it and talk about cow and chicken. And uh chicken is a harder sell for me to quit eating because I love chicken more than uh probably any other meat. You chicken is just the best freaking thing on the planet. But you know, if you got to be consistent, there probably is a lot of things I'm doing wrong with chicken. I don't think every you have to torture an animal to eat it. But there could be a possibility in us rethinking how we contribute to the market. When it comes to animals, it could be something to consider. Uh, kind of getting things more locally. We we've also talked about on the show how uh, nationalism isn't always the the best solution to a lot of the cultural problems going on. I push for this idea of localism, which is you know kind of like saying small business. And it could be that the best solution would be to consider using small businesses to get our food rather than big corporations uh so you know considering the lobster is also considering the market that makes it easy to torture animals as a means for us to eat food it may be more convenient for us to torture animals but is it right the question is is it right to do that and i think the answer is definitely no
0: yeah. and and again, I mean, I think that this brings us to an interesting cross cross point because we have to acknowledge that it's either moral or immoral to kill and eat lobsters in the way that we do now, which I think that we would both agree is. And then if we say that, how far does that extend out? And where does the the morality of that start or stop to other living things that we kill? And again, like you were just saying, that entirely, is subjective to what your definition of um, morality is and like how that applies to animals. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's gonna be some fault in your logic if you don't take that example and apply it to everything in the exact same way and be consistent with it. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's just kind of a fact of how that works. But you brought up a really, really good point looking at how that affects the market too. And I think that this is kind of the most important overtone to this whole thing in that if we don't respect the the processes that are in place to get the things that we need to survive in this case food and and like fishing specifically look at what can happen whenever uh fishermen in Maine and and kind of the whole culture shifted to preparing them fresh the fishing of lobsters kind of exploded in the area in the sense that you could just like walk out to the beach pick one up and then go and you're good but what's continued to happen there is that the market continued to demand this thing the the way that they are now accustomed to it and what that results in is the number of lobster that are available in the area just start dwindling and dwindling because there's no respect for their habitats or for uh their reproduction they just get what the market demands and they're going to take that thing and turn it around for profit that i think is more immoral than just cooking and eating it, but the broader problem that that then presents is what happens when the market demands what it what the the supplier can no longer supply. What what do you do at that point? I think the discussion of whether or not it's moral to cook and eat lobster is kind of thrown out the window because what is a lobster anymore if it's not there?
1: Mm. I did want to add uh, for this last part what is some of the spiritual undertones of a lot of this discussion? Because a lot of the times people reduce the religious discussion to uh, lobster and seafood to a lot of Old Testament ceremonial laws. A lot of the times when we think of what does the Bible say about diet, we just we just think, oh, you know, there's it says not to eat shellfish and certain things like that. The same is true in Islam, this idea of a dirty animal. Uh, there being things like unclean pigs or unclean uh, shellfish and it being wrong because of that. But I think, Joey, there's a deeper actually biblical themes going on uh, that that actually could be helpful. You mentioned the Native American spiritualist kind of mentality, this uh, recyclical, respectful uh, honoring of nature, because nature is what where we come from. It's where we're going to. So we should respect it, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think when people normally think of uh, Judaism and Christianity, they don't really see it having a lot to say about how we eat animals. Would you say that's true?
0: Yeah, I mean, outside of barring like pork and shellfish for being "quote unquote" unclean animals, it doesn't really say anything about that.
1: Well, I think there are some themes that you could you could definitely draw from the Bible. There is this proverb, it's Proverbs 12.10, and it says, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. So even somebody who is, what it's saying there is a person who is righteous is going to treat his animals righteously, but even somebody's cruel is going to be cruel to their animals. So how you treat an animal actually reflects who you are as a person. But I think it's deeper than that. Because in the Bible, it also talks about this idea of stewardship, God giving the earth to humanity. So the way we reflect, so the way we treat nature actually reflects how we treat God. Because if I were to give you a gift, Joey, and say, hey, Joey, I bought bought this for you and you took the gift and smashed it right in front of me and i said why would you do that that was so disrespectful to me your gift sucked <laughs> i got you a pair of socks
0: <laughs> i would actually appreciate that socks are great <laughs>
1: yeah i love socks too that's like a they don't suck as a gift you know <laughs> but if you said to me if you said to me George, it wasn't disrespectful to you. It was just disrespectful to the gift. I mean... You're going to disagree with that, like wholeheartedly. I, I, I'm going to very much disagree with that.
0: It's it's the same concept as, like, I don't get to decide that I didn't hurt you if you say that I hurt you in that situation. That's not how that works. I was talking to somebody, and
1: uh, I, I, actually, I was actually bringing up lobster as animal torture, and I brought up this point... <laughs> And I was, I was like, is it wrong to torture an animal? He said, yes, because we have dominion. Hmm. I'm like, okay, so if you have dominion over a group of people, does that mean you could rape and pillage the whole tribe or the whole nation? Because you have dominion? Genghis Khan and, thought to. Well, he brought up... Uh, well, that's dealing with humans. We're talking about animals. And I'm like, okay... I get what I get it. There is a difference between how we treat humans and animals. There just is. I don't think that animal rights should be on the same degree in pecking order as human rights. And I think everybody listening to this podcast, no matter what their perspective is, would agree with that. All you have to do is answer the question who would you throw out in a boat if you had to decide between a human being and a dog and you had to choose one of them to survive? I bet most, if not all, would choose the dog as the person or the thing, however you want category the animal to be thrown out of the boat.
0: yeah, and, and I think that's because
1: you implicitly believe humans are more valuable than yeah. animals.
0: and that's but that's that the does, does not mean you can treat that animal however you want to exactly. yeah, I mean, that's the that's the important thing to to distinguish there is, barring any kind of like weird, like let's say that it's like baby Hitler in the book, like getting rid of all of that. Like if you had a child that you knew and a dog that you knew, or let's just say that your house is on fire and your dog and your kid is inside and it's about to blow up and you somehow know that for some reason, you can only grab one thing. You're getting your child 100% of the time. You're not going back for the dog over your child. You might go back after you save the child, but you're not prioritizing the animal. That's just not how that works. And I think that we'd be far-fetched to say that you would do that because most people, if in that situation, I'd venture a guess to say would not. So what we're not saying is that lobsters need to be treated on the same level that humans do. That's a ridiculous idea. I think that any any excess like PETA campaign that they've done that I've also made fun of in the past 10 years would prove that because we all look at that for the most part and say, that's ridiculous. You can't say that if if a person gets rid of a dog that they deserve to get put in jail. Like, no, that's stupid. We all know that that's stupid, but we also need to look at the inhumane treatment of an animal just for the sake of being inhumane because you have power over that thing is also, first of all, cowardly, but also in, is it's immoral. Like, there's not another way around that, but it's it's definitely not saying that they need to be treated on the same level as humans do because there's... And this this also really harkens back to some of the the broader uh, societal themes that we've talked about in past episodes. But there's, I think the fundamental reason for that is that a lobster can't contribute to modern society, whereas a human, to some extent, can even at their worst. So that right there will say to most people that a human is going to have more value than a lobster.
1: And uh, there's also this point of the, obviously the Bible has these categories of animal sacrifice. There's a whole Levitical system built on animal sacrifice, but it's not built on torture. It's built on using and killing the animal. We need to use animals, but not to a point that is just mere convenience and mere arbitrary. There's an interesting passage in the Passover discourse in Exodus 12, where the Israelites are actually commanded to uh to keep the animal to keep the passover lamb with them for a period of time so the lamb is with the family before it's eaten i want it, i want you to picture the absolute just brutality of this by imagining you get this uh this cute dog and you have to watch out for it for a week but then God says, I want you to to slit the dog's throat and to sacrifice it to me. Now, that brings a lot of disgust and a lot of just even bitter reaction that God would even ask something like that. But the whole idea is this idea of cost. There is actually a lot of cost to what we use and to the just to nature. But even to ourselves, as we develop these relationships with animals, there's something that's saddened about the idea of killing an animal that we've grown close to. And that whole picture of loss and cost comes to fullness in Jesus when the disciples had been with him for three years. Three years until he offered himself as a sacrifice. But it wouldn't make sense if... Things and animals could just be treated however we want to. Even the idea of the Lord is my shepherd. If if a shepherd could just beat the crap out of his animals just because he can, the analogy the Lord is my shepherd does not make sense biblically. Because the whole point is that, oh, a shepherd takes care of the sheep. No, the shepherd doesn't, you know, treat it like his own kid. It doesn't it certainly kills the animal eventually and uses it. But the idea is that there's this protective sovereignty that you have over your sheep if if God has called you to be a shepherd. So there are actually deeper biblical themes that I don't think a lot of uh, Christians unpack when talking about animal rights. And I think they I think they could certainly do that better. Um, but, yeah that was a lot
0: yeah look at the end of the day we're not telling you what you can and can't eat that's ridiculous and absolutely makes no sense and we're not telling you what is right or wrong to eat if you're a vegan great if you're not a vegan and you like eating meat you're an omnivore also great do what you want just all that we're telling you to do is think about the impact that what it takes to get something to your table or uh to a takeout box or whatever consider what that has where it comes from consider the lobster